Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. These revivals would go sometimes two or three weeks every night, sometimes even going till after midnight. And we were there every night. And if we tried to say, Mom, it's a school night, we're tired, my mom would just look at us and say, the Lord will help you. And you know what? She was right. He always did. Now, some people might call that child abuse, right? But let me emphatically state that it was not. In fact, I can't express how truly grateful I am that she held the line on this one. Because of the exposure, not only did I come to Christ at the ripe old age of eight, I was privileged to experience many beautiful and sovereign moves of God. I witnessed his manifestations, genuine miracles, healings, the gifts of the Spirit on full display, and I rejoiced with the faithful when the sinners came home. But probably the most profound thing that I experienced in these revival meetings was the presence of God. And even at such a tender age, I knew what it was. Now, I'm not talking about goosebumps and hype and emotionalism, but awe, reverence, the holy hush that descends over the room, the tears of joy, the sheer weightiness, so real and so lasting. And to this day, nothing has ever surpassed it and nothing ever will. I always wanted that for my children, and I want that for us today as well, to be able to experience a sovereign move of God where he manifests his presence, where he pulls back the veil for just a moment and allows us to encounter him. And once encountered, nothing else will satisfy like he does. Amen? So having seen the manifestations and experience that presence, well, naturally, we're hungry for more. So when we hear reports of God breaking out somewhere in places around us, there's a pull to be a part of that. And for some, it's all-consuming, often traveling distances, great distances, sometimes returning again and again, spending time and energy and money. But for what? To hopefully see something amazing? to get a fresh touch from God, or perhaps to capture some of that Holy Spirit and bring it back home. Many thousands of individuals indeed travel, and, and they go to these places, and they might have bought the DVDs, only to find out that, yes, it was exciting, and it sure felt wonderful, but all too soon, that feeling had dissipated, and the hunt was on again. The quest for another conference, another revival, got to go, got to see, got to experience that high again, but to what end? Now, these conferences and revival meetings can be exciting, and when we go, at least for me, it's with a heightened expectancy that God will indeed show up in a powerful way, and we anxiously await that moment, hoping that he does, almost like spectators at a performance. And I confess I've been guilty of this, and maybe you have too. But what changes when it's all over? 
Were we just stimulated, or have we truly been undone? I'm reminded of what Jesus said when he was hearing all of the chatter about this amazing wild man down by the Jordan River. Exciting things were happening out there, and if you were a God chaser, that's the place that you had to be. But what did Jesus say to the crowds of people who were on a mission to see the Baptist? In Luke 7, 24, he asked them this question. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury, they're in palaces. But what did you go out to see? Now, the sad irony of this whole story is that the very one that their heart was truly seeking was standing right in front of them. He was speaking to them, and yet in their haste to chase the latest spiritual phenomenon, they blew right by him. We can feel sad for those seekers, but are we really any different now? Are we content being just seekers too? Do we go from event to event, conference to conference, seeking the manifestations of God instead of pursuing him and giving place for his presence? Do we even know how to recognize his presence, let alone pursue it? Do we even want to? So in Exodus 33, we're going to start at verse 7, and we're going to go through verse 11. We read about Moses and the tent of meeting. Now Moses used to take a tent, and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud, Standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would turn to the, return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. As we can see from our text this morning, Moses made a habit of separating himself from everything and everyone when he wanted or needed to spend time with God alone. Moses constructed a tent, and he set it up outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called this the tent of meeting, and it's what Moses used before the construction of the wilderness tabernacle. Now, when Moses went to this tent, it didn't go unnoticed. In fact, verse 8 says that whenever he went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. Now, we're talking probably about 2 million-plus people. Men, women, children, they all got up and went to the doorway of their tents, and they stood there watching, watching until Moses entered the tent. Now, as Moses entered the tent, a giant cloud in the shape of a pillar or a column would come down and stand at the entrance of the tent of meeting, remaining there while the Lord spoke with Moses. And when the people in the camp who were standing by their own doors saw the pillar cloud standing at the entrance to the tent of meeting, they would prostrate themselves, bowing down and worship, each at the entrance to their own tents. 
Then the Lord would speak to Moses face to face in that tent as a man speaks with his friend. Now, I'm not surely exactly how this was done. Perhaps it was an incarnate visitation. The text doesn't tell us. But the point is, God showed up in a very visible way, and everyone in that whole entire camp was aware of what was going on in that little tent outside of the camp. God's presence was there. And when the visit ended, the cloud would move, and Moses would return back to his camp. But his young servant, his assistant, his aide, Joshua, the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Now, apparently, Joshua followed Moses when he would visit the tent of meeting. And this doesn't surprise me because we're told in Exodus 24, 13, when Moses went up to the top of Mount Sinai to receive the tablets of stone, it says in the text, he took Joshua, his aide, with him. We don't know exactly where Joshua was for the next 40 days, but the Bible doesn't tell us. Did he go partway up the mountain? Did he get left at the base? The text isn't clear, but we do know that he was outside of the Israelite camp at Moses' direction for the whole 40 days that Moses was at the top. It appears that wherever Moses was, Joshua was sure to be close behind. Now, these few verses of our text, they share some pretty amazing things for us to remember and to learn from. First of all, we have Moses and God having a face-to-face time, a fellowship time. It said, just like we do with our friends, chatting, talking about, I can't even imagine what that conversation would be like. And then next you have this huge pillar, this sign in the sky that's a cloud that moves into position following Moses in and out of the tent, hovering there in place until it's told to move. Now stop for a moment and think what a sensation that would cause in Anchorage today if something like that showed up over the top of Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. The television cameras, the radio personalities, news reporters, all kinds of crazy would be going on outside of these doors. And the seekers, they would come by the thousands to see it. And each one would be coming with a different motive. Some would come out of curiosity, and some would come to get blessed. And others, well, they were probably trying to figure out how to monetize it. And maybe some would even have a religious experience, but when it was all over, would they really be any different? Would their lives be transformed? Well, we don't know how often Moses ventured out to this tent. I would guess probably with two million people it was frequently. But every time he did, It didn't take long for the whole entire camp to be aware that he was going. Two million people stopped what they were doing, and they would immediately move to the doorways of their tent. And when the clouds showed up, they stood up, and they bowed down in worship. My question is, why were they content to worship at a distance? Was it only one person out of this entire multitude that really understood the significance of these events? And not only understood it, but desired to participate in it up close. It would seem that the overwhelming majority in that camp was content to keep distance between themselves and the place where God's presence was. They were okay going to Moses if they needed to ask God something, but otherwise they were quite comfortable to be spectators, but not Joshua. And then you have to wonder, what was it that caused Joshua to remain there 
outside of that tent of meeting long after the visible presence of God had disappeared and Moses, his mentor, had gone back to camp. What made him want to remain outside of that tent instead of returning to the comfort and the safety of his own? Was he just doing routine maintenance on the structure? Was he merely a slightly bolder version of the others? What compelled him to stay? Or better yet, what drew him there in the first place? What did Joshua experience there outside of that tent flap? Joshua, he was a servant to Moses. He'd served faithfully alongside of him since coming out of Egypt. He had a strong faith, and he was a mighty warrior. When the sun stood still in the sky, while Moses interceded, it was Joshua who was leading the battle against the Amalekites. Joshua had seen firsthand the signs and the wonders leading up to the Exodus, and he'd personally experienced the Red Sea opening where he and his fellow Israelites crossed over on dry land. Joshua had then witnessed the drowning of Pharaoh and the Egyptian army in that very same sea. Divine provision of the manna and the quail and the bitter water turned to sweet. All of these wonders did Joshua experience in real time. But then, so did the others. But instead of being content with being a spectator, I'm convinced that Joshua wanted more. He saw or he sensed something in Moses and knew that it was connected to God. Moses had discovered something wonderful, and Joshua wanted that something. In fact, he wanted it so badly that he followed Moses to the tent where the cloud would show up and stand guard over the entrance, just Moses and God alone inside. Now, Joshua, it seemed, was not easily put off or discouraged because if he couldn't follow Moses all the way into the tent, he would get as close as he could to whatever wonderful occurrence was taking place inside. Instead of just being content to watch the presence of God from the door of his own tent like the rest of the crowd, instead of just being content to give a cursory bow to God that you know only superficially, Joshua wanted to pursue that presence to where it was resting, and he wanted to actively engage with it no matter what the terms. So what was it that Joshua learned there at the entrance to God's tent? First, he learned to recognize the presence of God. Well, yes, the rest of the camp perceived it too, but, but Joshua, he not only recognized it, he understood that it was more than just an observation. It was something that could truly be followed with the intent of taking hold of. And second, Joshua learned to pursue God and not just the manifestations of God. Next, Joshua learned to discern the voice of God, whether he was hearing both sides of the conversation through the thin walls of that tent, or he just heard one. He learned how to quiet himself and to listen intently to hear what God was saying. And finally, Joshua learned to wait, because even after the pillar cloud had lifted, even after Moses, that prophetic, miracle-working mouthpiece for God, had returned to his own tent, even after all of the rest of the spectators in that camp had returned to their beds, Joshua remained outside of that tent of meeting, and he wouldn't leave. You see, he discovered something so real, so tangible, 
so life-changing, more wonderful than anything he could have ever imagined. He'd found the one true source of joy and satisfaction, and he wasn't in any hurry to leave that spot. Now, I've experienced many times where God's presence would come in such a beautiful way, and it, it would be almost like a thick blanket, a warm blanket that just settles over the room, and time seems suspended, and you just rested in it. You're not in any hurry to leave. And I kind of think that was a little of what Joshua was experiencing outside of that empty tent. He was soaking in the residual presence of God that still lingered in that place. And I believe in that time of waiting, Joshua's spirit was being refreshed. His strength was being renewed. His heart was being cleansed. And his destiny was being shaped as he was becoming more and more conformed into the image of his God. And these are just a few things that Joshua learned there. He was becoming skilled on how to access the presence of the Lord, even after the visible presence was gone. He learned how to cultivate an atmosphere around him which was conducive for the Holy Spirit to work. He learned how to quiet himself, to be still and know God. And he learned how to distinguish God's voice clearly especially over his own. Now, the valuable lessons that Joshua learned were later evident in the manner in which he was eventually allowed to govern the children of Israel, and they're just as applicable for us today, perhaps even more so, because we're in a time where there's a crisis of faith, where truth is subjective, and multitudes are looking for answers anywhere that they can find them, no matter the source, running to and fro, trying every religion, every latest and greatest sensation that's out there. They're reading books that promise peace and success and happiness, even seeking counterfeit sources that say that you will have power and have false signs and wonders. And yet the only one that can fill all of their empty places is standing right in front of them. And yet they don't even recognize him. Or maybe they know God, but they want to keep the relationship distant only wanting to talk to him when they need something, and they're okay with somebody else doing the asking for them. They're content to worship from the comfort of their own tent door and keep the relationship on their own terms. But praise God. There are those who are like Joshua, though perhaps they don't even realize it yet. They're not content to merely be an outward observer, seeking God's hand only, but they want to have all of him all of the time. They want to open themselves up to everything that God has for them, to know him and allow him to know them, even as Moses and God had that beautiful, intimate relationship. If you read further on into the book of Joshua, you're going to see that God actually is speaking to Joshua just as clearly and intimately as he had previously overheard God and Moses in that tent. Joshua's desires and his faithful pursuit resulted in him having exactly what his heart craved, being in the presence of the Lord and having a deep, lasting, and personal relationship with him. And isn't that what we all really desire? And I've heard it said that many Christians are content to just date God, but they don't really want to commit to marrying him. But God wants our whole heart, not just a part of it. He wants us to make a habitation for his holy presence. Our heart 
was meant to be a tent of meeting where he speaks to us and we commune as friends. God desires that we come away with him, even as Moses separated himself from every person and distraction, because he wants to have quality time with us, because it's there when we prepare a place for his presence to dwell and to meet with us, our strength is renewed. Our spirit gets refreshed. Correction is sometimes given, and plans and strategies are shared. Wounds are healed, and our destinies are shaped and refined in his capable hands. So what should our response be? Number one, Psalm 27, 8 says, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. Make it a habit every day of separating yourself from everything and everyone to have your time with God. Leave your phone in another room. Get rid of every distraction. Moses pitched his tent outside the camp so he could be alone with God. So guard this time as sacred and special. Be intentional when you enter into his presence. Learn how to cultivate an atmosphere around you which is conducive for Holy Spirit to work. For you, that might be absolute quiet or soft worship music. And then enter in with praise and thanksgiving. Reading the Psalms out loud sometimes, it's just amazing when you just read the word of God out loud, it gets back into your ear and gets back into your spirit. Psalm 22, 3 reminds us that God inhabits the praises of his people. So as you're entering into his presence, make sure that you're praising him with a grateful heart. Number two, Psalm 37, 7 encourages us to be still before the Lord and to wait patiently for him. So after praise, learn how to quiet yourself in his word and in your prayer time, to be still and know God. And I know it's hard. It's hard to be still and to keep your mind still. But it's here that you're going to learn how to distinguish God's voice clearly, especially over your own. Shut off the busyness of your mind and listen for his voice to speak to your heart and through his word. And then write it down. Write down what you hear in that time. Keep a prayer journal. Number three, Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Find a mentor that's firmly rooted in the word of God. And make sure this person is given to much prayer and has a godly character. And learn from them. Allow yourself to be both teachable and accountable. And I know that's scary, but it's so worth it. Joshua followed Moses everywhere, and he observed, he served, and he fought alongside We as believers should always be in the process of mentoring someone, and yet also we should be in the process of being mentored ourselves, each generation actively pouring into and raising up the next generation for the glory of God. And finally, Psalm 1611 says, You made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We don't have to worry ourselves out by running to and fro, looking or hoping for the next God encounter because God is here right now. 
David proves this in Psalm 139, as Gary read this morning, when he asked the questions, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Well, the short answer is nowhere, because God is everywhere. And that means that he's here right now. He's standing at the door of our heart, or our tent, and he's waiting for us to stop what we're doing and invite him to come in. He's waiting for us to stop pursuing just the signs and the wonders, that next Holy Ghost high, and to allow ourselves to be fully captivated by him. And then establishing a holy habitation for his presence to dwell permanently. Don't be content to watch God move from the safety of your tent door. Surrender your heart to him fully today. Determined to live from this moment forward just like Joshua did, immersed in the person and in the presence of God. Because you can have as much of God or as little. The choice is yours. Worship team, if you would come. A.W. Tozier says in his book, The Pursuit of God, the presence and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. There can be one without the other. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it. He is manifest only when and as we are aware of his presence. On our part, there must be surrender to the Spirit of God, for his work is to show us the Father and the Son. If we cooperate with him in loving obedience, God will manifest himself to us, and that manifestation will be the difference between a nominal Christian life and a life radiant with the light of his faith. Remember Joshua, after the cloud had lifted that visible manifestation, he lingered still outside of that tent flap. He didn't go chasing after the cloud because he desired the source, not just the manifestation. Now the others witnessed the same thing that Joshua did, yet apparently Joshua recognized what perhaps the others did not as they remained firmly rooted at their tent doors. What Joshua discovered is that when you embrace him, everything else is just a beautiful bonus. And who are we still talking about today? The two million no-names that were content to watch the signs and wonders? Or Joshua, the one who pursued the source of them? Which one lived out their life in the way that God had fully intended them to? Do we want to have the life that God in eternity's past in his infinite wisdom, already has purpose in his heart for us to have? Because I know I do. I invite you to stand with me. Church, God's presence is a tangible thing. It's not capricious. It's not whimsical. It's not even elusive. God is always present in our midst, and he's mighty to save. The disconnect is not on his end, but on ours. We don't recognize him because we are often preoccupied with other things. And our spiritual receptivity is not functioning at optimum. The psalmist said, you will show me the path of life. And in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. So church, if this is what God is promising... Why are we not taking him up on his offer? Why do we allow ourselves to be filled up or worn down with the clutter 
the distractions, the stuff of this world, when what we truly desire, peace, rest, joy, love, acceptance, purpose, and so much more, it's only to be found in him. But once again, the choice is ours to make. If you've never made the decision to ask Jesus into your heart, you can do that right now. Simply open your heart to him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and be the Lord of your life from this day forward. And if you have made a decision to follow Christ, are you pursuing him? Or are you content to remain at the door of your tent to give him a respectful bow but keep the relationship at a distance? Or do you want more? If you do, then I encourage you to step out in faith this morning to bow down in his presence with a heart that's fully surrendered to him and allow Holy Spirit to clean out the junk that's keeping you from being a holy habitation and to embrace the one that's truly worth pursuing. The altars are open, and as the worship team leads us in a song, I invite you to respond to what Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now. Let's take a few moments to spend in his presence this morning and let the cry of our heart be, God, I surrender because I want more of you today. Amen? Amen. So the altars are open. I invite you to come, and let's take a few moments to spend in his presence. Let us be. Become. 
tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is church just remember you were created to be a holy habitation for the lord that's exciting just let the wonder of that just wash over you that the god of the universe wants to dwell inside of each one of us and he's such a good father everything that he has is ours so don't lose that don't lose that as you go through this week and if you're not feeling him remember it's not about feelings he says lo i'm with you i'll never leave you and i'll never forsake you he always keeps his word. So let me pray a blessing. Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for these hearts that have been here, Lord, that are open to receive the word. Father, let your word accomplish its purpose in each one of our lives. Let's always be overwhelmed, Lord, how much you love us and how dearly you want to have that time with us. Father, let us learn to value that as we come away with you and let you speak those wonderful things into our heart. We love you, Jesus. Go with each one this week. We praise you. Amen. Thank you for your time and your attention this morning. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.